Welcome home. We are WNST, AM 1570, Towson, Baltimore, and Baltimore Positive. We are uh, going to get the Maryland Crab Cake Tour presented by our friends at the Maryland Lottery and Window Nation and Jiffy Lube MultiCare and our friends at Liberty Pure Solutions. Out on the road, I'm, I'm getting some dates together. We're coming back to Coco's. We're doing Costas. I'm going to be doing some live stuff on Fridays before Orioles games. This guy is going to be joining us. Luke Jones joins us now. Luke, I remember uh, back in the day. By the way, we're done talking baseball for anybody that you see Camden Yards behind me. Or why, this is all football in this one. I, we've swore we would stick to football. But, you know, those days of waking up in Indianapolis where it's eight degrees and we have to, like, frigidly walk across a parking lot uh, and, and wait out in the cold for the doors to the house that the Ursay family built to let us in and sit there and look at big murals of blue and white and Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning and – you know, they've they made it uh, um, unappealing for us to be there. And then they made it unavailable for me to be there. Uh, I don't miss that at all. But I, I must say, Luke, you you asked me right before the segment began what the weather is in India. 69, 66 and 62. That's Fahrenheit. Um, and then the cold really? spell comes in over the weekend. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I always dream we would go do that on a week when the Terps would be playing in Bloomington. Because one thing I've never done, I've never been to Bloomington, Indiana. It's hard for you to believe, given my affinity for not just John Cougar Mellencamp, oh. and but I've never been to Bloomington, Indiana in my life. That's I, that's surprising to me. I mean, we did do the Maryland-Purdue trip. You know, we did that one year at the Combine. Memorable. But... Legendary. Yeah. Like, I put that on my top 100, like, sporting events I've ever attended. Although, what was the burger joint that was hyped up? That Awful. that That was not that was very underwhelming. <laughs> let me let me plug my dear friend Stanley Jablonski, who has been on the show from time to time. He lives in Chicago. Uh, he's one of my dear friends in life that I've collected through all of my journeys. Uh, never forget the day I met Stan. Um, and we were together over the weekend, and he went to Purdue. So um, I, you know, said to him, you know, I went to a game at Mackey, Maryland. They were about six years ago. They were both ranked at the time. I said, you know, Maryland got beaten. It was the year that Maryland was like Suleiman and uh, Diamond Stone. It was like a, it was that kind of year for them. And I know that uh, Willard just got this huge recruit last week. So there's some Terps news. But I said to him, that was one of the really memorable, like, oh, I mean, Bino was assistant coach at the time. I just remember seeing Bino give a pep talk underneath in front of all the wooden stuff underneath the Mackey. Like I have a really like you and I were together and we have never talked about this, but I said to Stan guy Fietti sent us to this triple X. Oh, you went to the triple X. Now the triple X sounds like something down on the block or no, it's, it's just, a, <laughs> it's just a burger joint. I mean like literally mm -hmm. old school diner. It's Mel's diner from Alice. You know what I mean? With burgers and, the little glass things with, with cake on the top and, and the whole place smells like fried onions and cheeseburgers, like a little bit didn't smell as good as a little tavern and the burgers were not near. Like I was hoping for a really delectably awful little tavern, bur which was my favorite burger. Ever. You want to, you want to love me, bring me little tavern burgers right now. Bring me about eight of them in a little bag with the little onions that made me flatulent with the ketchup on them and the pickles, uh, you know, but, I was expecting that experience. Dude, it was the worst cheeseburger I've ever had in my life. It was terrible. I don't remember it being the worst I ever had, but it was underwhelming. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those deals. And look, you know me, Nestor, you know very well. I'm not a foodie by any stretch of the imagination. I'm I'm very easy to please when it comes to food. 
it was very forgettable. That's yeah. I, I, told I completely Stan, forgot and Stan's about it. Like, yeah. were you drunk? It was at one a.m. And I'm like, no. He's like, well, then it wasn't any good. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, Luke is here. We're here to talk football, even though we're not in Indianapolis. Um, you know, I'll give full disclosure because I like doing this uh, because they've thrown me out. And I, I shared a picture of us with John Harbaugh, who put us in his cab, and we flew out. It, like the whole deal. Um, I've written about that, but it became a diminishing thing. I started going in 2003, maybe two or three, um, when it was in the Hoosier Dome and it was a hallway and Peter King retired this week. Right. So like through all of the changes with the combine, the combines are made for television event here that even you as a journalist sitting in this pool room of nonsense of kids running around and being handled by every handler who's ever been handled. It's sort of the ugly greasy side of the underneath of uh all of the draft and, and and its own legality and how the league operates and the sports sciences that gather in indianapolis like it's become this sort of cultured event that eventually i guess they'll move to los angeles under their own thing but indy still works for them but i don't miss going i don't miss drinking with scouts and coaches till three in the morning. Um, and my era has sort of graduated from that. And I, I, I think some of that chicanery goes on, but from my purposes, if I'm trying to figure out who the Ravens are drafting at the end of the first round, I can pretty much do it on NFL network here this week, a lot better as a journalist than I can be out there banging around tables with handled 20 year old kids. Cause well, I've done yeah, that I mean- 20 times. Right. And you can speak to this much better than me because even I think my first combine I went to might have been 2013, something like that. Oh, um, it, 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 it had gone. Yeah. It jumped the shark. by so, that, Right. It, it had already done that, which, you know, uh, to, to your point, which you they talk- threw the journalist out of seeing it literally. So, right. Like literally, let's start with that. <laughs> well, I think you have that, but also just everyone's less accessible than they were 20 or 25 years ago. I mean, you hear, I mean, I remember hearing it even just a few years ago, the stories of you know, Peyton Manning's year, uh, how he would be walking back from his workouts. And Peter King, I believe, was one of them, Was would walk with him for 15 minutes and interview him. Whereas now it's, you know, they'll have the podium sessions for however many prospects. And look, I mean, there's some value to that. Is it this tremendous value? Is it terribly interesting? Usually not. Uh, usually the headlines at the, at the combine are for bad news you know uh, something will come out about someone's drug test or you know obviously leaking uh you know uh, scores or so, who had a bad meeting whatever it is but you know it's it's a big event uh the nfl you know it's the machine right i mean it's so big that it, it can't pravda fail is what become... uh, peter king called it mark malvoy called it pravda i like that and i'm going to start to use that as <laughs> Pravda. That is officially, Peter, I've ripped it off. Thank you in your retirement. So I've taken that. <laughs> but but it's just, you know, it's become bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you have events continue to grow that way and there's more and more control, less access for media that, you know, 20 or 25 years ago had a lot of really compelling things that could come out of that. You know, it, it just, it kind of is what it is. I mean, it's, it's still important for the teams in terms of the interviews, the medical checks. I mean, that's obviously a big part of this. We know that behind closed doors late at night at St. Elmo's or wherever uh, agents are meeting with GMs. They're getting, you know, it's really the soft opening for free agency. 
more so than the official date, you know, tampering date uh, coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, but see, see, I knew enough to hang out at the Conrad right there for breakfast. Pat Moriarty would be in a corner with an agent every day, all day long. Like that's yeah. literally how business was conducted there because I guess in the modern era, zoom has sort of changed a lot of what, you know, Hey, how are you? You can look at someone in a negotiation, but there's still nothing like when everybody gets together in the same town, it's a convention. It's a football convention. It is. It is. is. And and again, that's not even, you know, sounds like we're bashing the combine. I mean, it's just, it's changed a lot from where it was 10 years ago, let alone 20 or for, for what we do for a living we to do. go out there and sit there it would not be good it wasn't good and the nfl put us in a back room in a back corner way like it just like literally became something like well they don't want us there a and if i'm not going to broadcast them there why am i going there other than to drink all night because you can't get into the combine you get stuck in a room with basically no offense a bunch of junior journalists from colleges everywhere that they give everybody a badge they stick them in this holding tank to watch the nfl network and that's covering the combine like and they they whisk players in for eight minutes at a time in group podium settings mini podiums they're all talking at the same time it's all in the same room it's a cacophony of noise it's not very well done it's not meant to be well done they don't care that it's well done um from anybody's perspective so we stopped doing it so if anybody's wondering why we're not freezing our we're not we'd be freezing this week um and you know i know where every great restaurant is in indianapolis i know my way around that town 20 years i love that town that's friendly heart of the midwest i you know um you know i even forgave ursay and i i know my way around broad ripple and i know where good pancakes are and stuff but uh chicken and waffles fantastic joint uh yeah out of the edge of town there i got that i, I you know i will say this rick majerus uh used to eat at this restaurant and um and, and uh, kravitz sent us to that italian that little it reminded me of squires little italian mm-hmm. restaurant with all college basketball stuff up I'm not going to lie to you. Chad Steele's cost me some things, throwing me out. This is, you know, I had one meal there and I have no reason to ever go to Indianapolis if it's not for a football game, I guess. Right. I don't know. Like, why would, why would I choose to go to Indianapolis after it's chosen me for 30, even though I don't dislike Indianapolis, but I think, when am I going to get back to some of the romance of some of this? But then I put on the combine for five minutes to see these guys running around and I'm like, okay, when spring training, it's all good. But I mean, there are, <laughs> Listen, you know, DaCosta and Ozzy over the course of years hiding here. John Harbaugh so far as to throw us in his cab. His brother actually came down when he was a 49ers coach and did the show. And I mean, I've had a whole litany of really interesting guests back in the day when we sat up live at seven in the morning and did our thing there, um, along with other screaming radio people and whatnot. Um, poor Adam Schefter. <laughs> but uh, the, the business of it aside, where the Ravens are, all right, a lot of coaches out the back door, a lot of questions on the Matabike, Patrick Queen, a lot of free agent, a lot of already, all right, well, you know, how are they going to replace the guys that they've already, Zeitler, other guys that look like they're not coming back at this point. Give us a reset from your the last two weeks, starting with Zeitler and starting with, all right, what are the goals here as they go with a late first round pick, um, some supplemental ideas, um, salary cap, a little bit more space than they thought because of the cap. So there's been some news here in the last week, 10 days. 
There has been, and I'm glad you brought up the salary cap because I'm going to put you on the spot since you were ta- reminiscing a little bit about Indianapolis. I, I haven't prepped you for this for anyone mm-hmm. listening. What was the salary cap in 1996, Ravens' inaugural season? Um, and this and this helps explain why the combine not, as I, just I'm just one, thinking. Hold on, it's 40, 40 50 man roster. Um. Trying to think of how much money Vinny was making, how much money Eric Turner was making, what in in, in terms. I want to go with fifty-eight million dollars. You're still on the high side, forty point seven five three million dollars. So here we are, nearly thirty years later. Which and is John Ogden got like think... nine million or so, some crazy six million. It was, Probably something it was like that. a yeah. huge number against that number. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, and and, th- and those were the days where you know remember the 2011 CBA really changed the rookie scale and everything. So yeah, top five pick was making lucrative money relative to the cap. But yeah, 1996, 40.753 million, and uh, this past week, 255.4 million dollars is a salary cap. That right there illustrates how the combine has changed over 25 plus years uh, in terms of just the business the lucrative nature of the NFL, but you, know, you, you mentioned it. And, and, you know, while we talk about it, I mean, the, the salary cap a little bit higher of a bump than most had projected. I, I saw a lot of Ravens fans react to this in a way that excitement and luck, like this is, this is good news for them. However, I'm very reluctant to say, Oh, this really changes the outlook for their off season because the salary cap went up for all 32 teams, right? I mean, every team has more space now. And what this typically, at least in a vacuum, what it should mean is higher prices on the free agent market. Yeah, right? Patrick Queen all just got agents. himself another $600,000, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Where I do think it helps the Ravens, however, and we'll start to work backwards, is I think with it being, you know, the neighborhood of 10 million, maybe as high as 15 million higher than some of the projections that were out there, I do think it makes the, the franchise tag for Justin Matabike uh, less prohibitive now. Not that it's not going to be a major challenge because you're talking about a $22 million cap figure there uh, if we're talking the tag for him. But I think that's a little more doable now for them in terms of if you don't work out a long-term deal by March 5th, if you don't work out a long-term contract by July 15th or whatever the, the mid-July deadline is uh, for playing on the franchise tag. I think that becomes a little more workable now. When you have a salary cap increase, I, I think people are quick to to view it through the lens of, oh, you can be more active on free agency. And you know, we just said that that's not really how it should work if we're talking about, you know, market prices and demand and and all that. But I think where it does help is your contracts that are already established, your contracts that are already on the books become a little more value valuable, right? Because you are playing under a higher salary cap. So that's where I think it, if it matters anywhere, I do think it helps them with Matabike because I, I, I'll continue to say this. I can't fathom that you're just going to let him hit the market. Uh, I mean, considering what an interior pa- pass rusher is in the NFL and how much that's viewed as for lack of a better term, a unicorn, you know, in terms of that that guy that can get you ten plus sacks lining up, uh, you know, off the off the shoulder of the guard, you know, as, as a three technique. Uh, I mean, that's very rare. So I, I, as much as I, if I'm being honest, have some reservations about giving him a hundred million dollar contract. 
you know, after one monster year, I certainly don't want to let him just hit the market. So that's where you do look at it through the lens of saying, okay, higher salary cap, a little more flexibility does make the, the franchise tag a little more doable for you. I mean, it's still not great. You know, you still don't want to, you know, have so much of your cap just be eaten immediately by that, by that number, but kind of is what it is. I mean, you, you would assume Matabike at this point, after he bet on himself last year and had the year that he had, he wants to get to market. I, I mean, even if it's a case of still wanting to be a Raven, he wants to get to market, right? I mean, he wants to see what his value is and as he should. So, so that's where it's tough. But this is where the that, gods of football all came together under Gene Upshaw and, you know, negotiated this thing away. That's a specialty thing that restricts the market. You know, if I had Chad Weasling sitting next to us and we should do that, you and me and Chad Weasling over crab cake sometime soon um, uh, and, and sit and talk about that, because this is this is the back door. Like what Billick would always say, time for play, time for pay. And this is the time of the year where. When you go to Indianapolis for 20 years, when you go to owners meetings for 20 years like I have, and you go to Super Bowls for 10 days at a time for 28 years like I did, that you meet people in the industry and and they they do deep dives on the value of all of this and how Ed Reed, you're just a safety. Mm -hmm. How really, um, if when you look down, tight ends are kind of getting screwed in the NFL from a value perspective, yeah. from what, but to your point, Interior linemen that can get after the quarterback, that's, um, you know, that's Hall of Fame money, right? Yeah. I mean, you're talking – I mean, that's why when it's all said and done, whether it's the Ravens or another team – and look, this is working under the assumption that Justin Matabike, if he does play under the tag, on the tag, has another year at least comparable to what he just did. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's going to get – somewhere in the neighborhood of a $100 million contract. I mean, that's what you're looking at for that unique skill set. I mean, look at what no one's Aaron Donald. I understand that, but looking at what his compensation is, looking at what Chris Jones is expected to get, you know, the Kansas City free agent defensive tackle who's put up monster numbers here in recent years. And rings. I mean, Matt Abike is going to be somewhere. I'm not saying he's going to eclipse those guys, but he's going to be somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, I, I'd be shocked whether it's the Ravens re-signing him or whether it is, you know, tag and trade or by some chance that they don't franchise tag him, which again, I would be very surprised by, you know, I'd, I'd be shocked if this guy's getting anything less than a 90 million kind of dollar, $90 million contract, you know, if not more than that. So, you know, that's what we're talking about here. So it is a challenge. That's why the friend or the salary cap going up as much as it did does help them a little more. I don't think it drastically changes their outlook or their strategy on the free agent market. I think uh, unless we see the Ravens go the route of using the voidable years a lot like they did last year, which by the way, has left them with an, about $9 million in dead money on their cap uh, for this year. Uh, that That's the cost well, of doing business. Well, you've been which Stone and all these guys for months that, and we were saying all along through all the enthusiasm, through bye week, through winning a game, like all of that, we were saying, like, the band's going to break up here. They can't keep everybody. I mean, you said that a million times. Now we're starting to see, like, how the game's yeah. going to get played, right? And Stone, Zeitler, um, whoever, Al Aguilar's in, right? Like, so there's a guy that wasn't even around this time last year. Right. So, look, I mean, there's always turnover. And that's not to, 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is a case where the Ravens like that they're going to collapse and they're going to stink next year. Far from it. You know, I I don't think anyone's suggesting that. But yeah, you're going to have some turnover and you're going to have a little more than normal. And I mean, look what's happened with the coaching staff. I mean, the defensive coaches they've lost. You know, uh, this past week, I mean, Keith Williams, their assistant wide receivers coach, who by the way is pretty popular with their incumbent wide receivers, gets hired in New Orleans to be their wide receivers coach. I mean, that's just that's that's how this works. So you're going to have turnover. But in the meantime, yeah, it is going to be a, a challenge to see what this looks like. And I think, you know, because you mentioned him, because that was probably the biggest headline other than the cap itself, the biggest headline early last week was that the Ravens did not get anything done with Kevin Zeitler, meaning his deal like Gus Edwards, like Geno Stone, uh, like Rock Yassine, uh will void, right? Uh, his contract voids and he'll become a free agent. Now, let me be clear about that. That does not mean they can't work something out still, but if you couldn't work something out to avoid the dead money hit that those void, you know, the, the voids for those contracts cause, then that decreases the likelihood of me thinking you're going to get something done unless, and this is possible because Kevin Zeitler's 34 years old or going to be 34 years old, unless the market for him is way cooler than projected to be. Not that he's going to get crazy money, but you know, it, it's not it's not unheard of that some team doesn't value him and give him a three year contract. I mean, that's that wouldn't be surprising at all, unless the market's really tepid on him. He's probably not coming back. So what does that mean? That's another position on the offensive line the Ravens are going to have to fill. I mean, you look at where they stand. Right guard Kevin Zeitler, free agent. Left guard John Simpson, free agent. Okay, that one's not. You know, that's not a deal breaker. He was the weak link on their offensive line. Although I'll, I'll remind everyone, he's the only one who played all 17 games on their offensive line. And there's there's value to availability. But we've talked about this with what's going to happen with Ronnie Stanley. You know, it, it's still a case for me where I look at that. Yes, long term, you'd love to find a successor for him. Are you going to do that, though, picking 30th overall? I think that's a very ambitious goal. Very ambitious. So I still think the best case scenario for them with Ronnie Stanley for this year, and we'll see how it plays out, is to try to get him to take a pay cut. Because the reality is, Nestor, where Ronnie Stanley is now, as opposed to where he was five years ago, no one's giving him the contract that the Ravens gave him in 2020, two days before he wrecked his ankle, right? I mean, we we can we can agree on that. So that's that's the situation that is typically ripe for a team to perhaps get a player to give some money back. You give him some incentives in turn and say, okay, we're going to lower your salary to this, but you can earn these incentive A, B, and C if you, one, are on the field, and two, play at the kind of level you were three, four years ago. So, you know, that's that. I still think that's probably the most realistic scenario for them because, one, if you just cut them right now, the, the cap hit's too great. I mean, the dead money's too great. You, who's going to play left tackle? That's still the big question there. I still think the best case scenario for the Ravens with Ronnie Stanley is rework the deal, make it a little more flexible. You're looking to draft his successor, but maybe it's a scenario like Jonathan Ogden back in 1996. Tony Jones was a left tackle and a very good left tackle with that. J.O. played left guard for a year. Maybe that's the scenario that the Ravens are envisioning. Now, a lot has to happen. Guy has to be there when you're picking 30th overall, or if you're picking in the second round and, and you 
guy you love or whatever it is. Uh, Stanley has to be amenable to reworking his deal a little bit. And you you have to see where you are. But long story short, as I'm talking about it, a lot on the offensive line and i didn't even mention morgan moses who's entering the final year of his contract so i've seen some people say or suggest that the ravens might need to replace four out of five guys on their offensive line i can't fathom them making that much change i I think that time trying to replace that much because look i get it morgan moses is older ronnie stanley is older ronnie stanley's not living up to his contract i understand that i've been been saying that for a couple years now, you know, and and plenty of people have been. But to try to turn over your entire O line sends Tyler Linderbaum. I don't like the odds of how that's probably going to turn out. So I think what you're going to see, yeah, guard, we're going to have to see. I think chances are Ben Cleveland's probably going to be a starter this coming year, and they're going to hope that he does what Ben Powers did a couple years ago for them. Uh, you know, we're going to see what uh, Big Sala looks like in year two. We're going to see what. Uh, you know, we're going to see what Andrew Voorhees, the, the seventh round pick who tore his ACL at the combine last year, but was a multi-year starter at USC and was kind of projected to be a mid-round pick before he hurt his knee. We're going to see what he looks like this spring and summer. So they've got some options internally, but yeah, there's going to be some turnover for that offensive line. And that's why for me, and I wrote, I touched on this at BaltimorePositive.com, as much as I've heard chatter and it's not just fan chatter mind you there have been some national reporters who've even talked about this talking about the possibility of the ravens being in on a derrick henry or a saquon barkley or someone like that i I fall much more in the camp of you need to make sure this offensive line is optimal before you're worried about bringing in a veteran running back i mean i for the money that i think derrick henry is going to cost which isn't going to be crazy money but it's going to be real money I want to make sure my offensive line's as good as it can possibly be before I'm worrying about that because we've seen this. Keaton Mitchell was the latest example of this. The Lamar effect is a real thing on any running back that you bring in. We've seen them have running backs that, you know, look at someone like Latavius Murray or Devontae Freeman a couple years ago. I mean, those guys had more success with the Ravens than they've had with anyone over the last five years. Why? It's because of Lamar Jackson and his presence and how how that helps everyone. So, That's where I'm a little less inclined to throw money at a veteran running back. Now, I'm monitoring that market. And if one of those, and there's a long list of names, for lack of a better term on the the running back market, if one of those guys is still available after the draft and maybe a couple of the running backs that I covet in the draft aren't available when I'm picking, then okay, then that's a different story, you know, that... There, there's a scenario where I'm I'm on board to make a a Mark Ingram kind of a signing uh, at running back, but boy, I'm I'm really much more concerned about making sure this offensive line is in the best shape it can possibly be because we saw how this worked back in 20 and 21 with a lesser offensive line and what that meant for Lamar Jackson or for any quarterback. You know, I mean that's just reality. That's not just Lamar. That's any quarterback. So. You know, I, I for me, that's kind of the, the headline right now. And I haven't even touched on edge rusher and, and knowing, you know, the, what that's going to look like with Clowney being a free agent and Van Noy being a free agent and David Ajabo coming back from another injury. These are all the nightmares of like November and December of talking about like what the end of the season was going to look like, right? Like, yeah, we, I mean, we, like, we, we, there was no oxygen to talk about all of that, but it was like, 
This is why this whole now or never and people were paying $800 to go to the game and yeah. like all that. It's because like it's going to be real hard. <clears throat> I keep using that word, dude. And it's not a it's not purgative. You know, it's diminished. They're going to be diminished yeah. to some degree. And, and and I'll disagree with now or never, but it's now it, it was now in terms of everything setting up as beautifully as it was on paper. Right. Coaching staff being what it was. I mean, Mike McDonald, you saw. You saw how coveted he was around the league. I mean, they had, what, five or six teams interview him. The Seahawks flat out waited because they wanted him. And, and you know, they waited until the Ravens were eliminated, you know, in the conference championship to treat him like a frigging king. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. but you lose him, you lose Anthony Weaver, you know, Zach Orr becomes your defensive coordinator now. You lose Denard Wilson. Uh, you know, you lose some of the players that they're inevitably going to lose in free agency. I mean, look. I'll say right now, regardless of what's going to happen with this offseason, right now, blind, I'm pick, I'm already, I'm calling my shot here. I'm not, and I'm not going out on a limb. I'm predicting the Ravens to make the playoffs next year. I am. Let's be clear about that. However, the position they were in, which was best team in the league at the end of the regular season, Kansas City being down, regardless of the fact that the perception of their demise was greatly exaggerated, right? Uh, Buffalo being where they were, Cincinnati being where they were. You have Jim Harbaugh coming in now with the Chargers. Houston with with, with uh, you know with Stroud, they're going to be a year older, more experienced. You know, it's it, it's tough sledding in the AFC. I mean, you know, you have a lot of teams that are going to be interesting at the very least going into 2024. And yeah, the Ravens are still in that group, but to your point they're going to be a little diminished, at, at least a little bit diminished. And depending on how this goes with free agency and depending on how this draft works out for them, they could be diminished more than a little. You know, it, it could be a lot. So doesn't mean that they won't still be good, but are they going to be this 13-4 and four best point differential in the league, best DVOA seen in years that guys like Aaron Schatz were talking about? Probably not. Now they can be the eleven we, and sixteen, uh, and I was just going to say right. that's that said they've been in that position twice in five years where they were the cream of the crop in the regular season, and where did it get them? So that shows that that's not a requisite to win the Super Bowl, but it does speak to the challenge that Eric DaCosta, from a roster building standpoint, and John Harbaugh with his coaching staff, which we're still waiting to hear the official announcements for all the jobs being filled and all that, which. We'll hear this week with the combine if we haven't heard already by the time someone's listening to this. But you know they're they're going to need some things to go right. They're 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 going to need some young guys to pop. You know, I mentioned the pass rush for example, not just the Jabo, but how about like Atavius Robinson who was drafted in the fourth round? He actually played more than I thought he would play uh, over the course of the season. It was pretty quiet as you'd expect for a fourth round rookie, but can he take a step forward? Trenton Simpson, we've talked about him because. He was drafted with the thought that he would be the successor to Patrick Queen, and it looks like it's going to play out that way. He looked good playing in against the Steelers in Week 18, but that's got to translate because he's probably going to be the starter next to Roquan Smith. So, you know, you need your young guys, you know, to take a step forward. You need your young superstars like Kyle Hamilton. Does he have another level even? Which, boy, that's scary to think if he does because he's already such a I'll, I'll say it. I mean, Kyle Hamilton is already a great player. Uh, the, the idea that he could be even better, you're going to need some of that from some of your stars. 
And you're going to need that from some of your up and coming youngsters because. And a third round draft pick that to be named later that they're going to discover next week that they're going to put their hat that they're going to bring out. Who's going to wind up being the next Ricard or the next thing or the next whatever, because that's what they're searching for. Right. Yeah. No question about it. I mean, the reality is, and look, Lamar Jackson's cap number still isn't going to be crazy this year, but it's going to be $32.4 million. Ronnie Stanley's cap number, which again, you hope that they're able to lower this with pay cut, you know, rearranges some monies, incentives, whatever it is, but $26 million. Marlon Humphrey, just under $23 million cap number. He's a guy. I I think some of the talk, I've seen some people talk about him potentially being a cap casualty. I don't see that whatsoever. One, it would be a post-June 1st anyway, but that said... It's a big year for Marlon Humphrey to bounce back from an injury plagued year. Uh, you, you know, you can't have your can't have your top guys unavailable. The Ravens saw that was obvious the last couple of years with Lamar Jackson on the sideline in late December. I mean, not playing. Uh, you can't have that. You need your best. You need your stars to be healthy, available. Your top and cap at a high numbers level. are your stars. Period. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, until uh, until Kyle Hamilton's ready for an extension. Right. I mean, uh, I mean that's where you are. Or so, Linderbaum. Ah, sure. How important is your center? Well, you know, remember sure. the Browns falling apart when Alex Mack rolled out of there, you know, and honestly, they've been looking a decade to replace Matt Burke. You, you yeah. know, you, you talk about this. Zeitler's gone. He's fine. Zeitler's not Marshall Yanda, but right. I mean, but, but Burke and Yanda and then Stanley not really ever being great. He was great for a minute. But he was never like Ogden was great or Burke was great where they were just there and great. Mm-hmm. And miss them when they're gone. When Ronnie Stanley's gone, we're going to say, I missed him in 2019, but it's 2024, yeah. man. You know what I mean? Right. It, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that's what with Marlon Humphrey. I mean, like, it's been a while since he's been great. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say this. I mean, it's been a while since he's been healthy, but I was just going to yeah. say he missed roughly half of this past season. Now, he was a Pro Bowl player in 2022. Was it his best season? No, but he was, he made the Pro Bowl. I mean, he was, he was. I checked the box. He was good. I mean, he was Marlon Humphrey, let's say. Uh, but 21, he got hurt at the end of that year, too. So that's why I said I think all the talk about him being cut, I think, is way too premature. And, you know, you're still talking about someone who's still relatively young. Keep in mind, he was a very young rookie out of Alabama. I mean, this was a guy who was, I think, turned 21 during training camp that year. So, you know, we think of Marlon Humphrey as this guy who's been around forever. And he's you know, he's still not close to 30. I think he's going to be 28 this year, uh, this coming season. So, you know, but he's got to bounce back. He's got to play like one of your stars. There's no doubt about it. So I heard the greatest becomes... expression uh, last week. I just want to drop this on you. This must be a Southern thing. Say he's got an Alabama mouth and a Vanderbilt trophy case. <laughs> Who said that? That's pretty good. I just want that let that marinate now. All right, I want to say that again. That's pretty good. An Alabama mouth and a Vanderbilt trophy case. Did you come up with that, or did someone no, tell you that's that? stolen, man? I saw that on the internet, and I thought, mm, mm, that tastes good. You know, that's I'm like, funny. I gotta use that. You know, that's pretty funny. But yeah. but you know, the point is, I mean, he's 27. He's gonna be 28 in July. I mean, but it's a big year for him. I mean. We've talked about this, and it's always through the lens of the quarterback, but it applies to all of your high-priced players. And it's one reason why Tyus Bowser, everyone's expecting he's going to be cut. I mean, he's got a $7.5 million cap figure and didn't play last year and only played about half the season the year before that. He can't stay healthy. Uh, But 
when you're talking about Mark Andrews and Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey and Ronnie Stanley and Lamar Jackson. I mean, you're talking, I just rattled off five through one or six through one, their top cap figures for the 2024 season as it stands right now. Uh, you know, they need to be your best players and they need to be on the field and healthy because if not, then boy, you are really tapping into the bottom of your roster and, and league minimum kind of guys to try to fill the void. And, you know, this past year, the Ravens, we're really fortunate, but also a credit to them and a credit to this individual, someone like Brandon Stevens, third year player, third round pick, had ping pong back and forth between uh, cornerback and safety. He was their most reliable corner this past year. No one was really expecting that, including the Ravens who had him practicing at safety in sprint in the spring. I mean, that's where they were with him. So they were fortunate. And that was a case of they were able to survive the Marlon Humphrey injury because they had Brandon Stevens and they had a, a Ronald Darby that they signed in mid-August to come in and do a nice job. So that's not to say they won't be able to make some signings like that come August, but they have a much smaller margin from error from which they're operating now with Mar or with Lamar Jackson's contract and, and his number with the other guys on, on this roster at, right at the top as it pertains to their cap. So you need those guys to play great. You need them to stay healthy. And that's why Stanley has been so problematic the last few years and why Marlon Humphrey was problematic last year. And they need him to bounce back. Marcus Williams, same thing for him, right? He's got to stay on the field and stay healthy. So those are the, those are the guys that need to be the absolutes for you. When you're talking about those guys with those cap numbers and, and in that, pay you know that pay scale that that tax bracket so to speak you can't have questions about those guys because eric DaCosta's got to fill out the rest of the roster with draft picks and value free agent signings and young guys that hopefully take the next step as they've had guys do in recent years uh, so you know it, it just becomes that much more challenging not impossible uh, again this team still has a ton going for it you know let's be clear about that it's not all doom and gloom by any means but these last few weeks with the exodus from the coaching standpoint and with what we're going to see here over the next few weeks with absolutely a long list of free agents. And there's only going to be a, a few guys that are back most likely. So yeah, you're going to have to look at the draft. You're going to have to look at, you know, what you can do from a cap standpoint, look at young guys on the roster, taking the next step, you know, someone like Adafi Owe, someone like Rashad Bateman, guys who are first round picks where you say, Hey, it's go time, you know, it, it, we can't keep talking about your potential. It's time for you to do it. We need you. I mean, that's where it is with guys like that right now. So, you know, they, they, they're going to need that, especially if you want this to be a case of 13 and four. Okay. There's a little bit of drop off, but you're still a really, really, really strong 11 and six or 12 and five. Then some of that has to happen. If, if that stuff that I just laid out there doesn't happen, then you're pissing away five games when you're winning. The then you might morning. be. Yeah, right, right. But, you know, but but if some of those things that I just lay out, if that doesn't happen, then you might be looking at a team that's 10 and seven and and, and you're struggling to make. Yeah, it. I don't know what that looks like if you lose two games in a row because last year's team, you know, like, I don't know if that looks like when you get beat 34 to seven just on a week when you roll out of bed the wrong way. and Lamar's got a turned yeah. ankle or a head cold or like I, they didn't have any of that last year. They were almost like yeah. as flawless as anything we've seen. And I'm just. I'm, dude, it's February. The Super Bowl was like weeks ago. I'm no, tempering my own way. expectations because I've been on this roller coaster ride. I don't expect them to be 14 and three next year. I don't. Yeah. And by the way, before we break on this, because we're going to break, uh, Luke Jones, by the way, Baltimore Luke, follow him for all the wisdom and all that stuff. 
Um, I've got the credit on that quote. Are you ready? It's Chuck Douglas, former Washington Wizards, Bullets, uh, assistant GM and their scouting director for years, who was with the Terps prior to that. He, he a Terp. He's a big mm-hmm. Terps guy. But that is his quote. Alabama mouth Vanderbilt trophy case as quoted by Chuck Douglas. And you can follow Chuck out on the Twitter. He's excuse me, Chuck Douglas underscore just Chuck Douglas underscore 20 year NBA front office exec. I, I should probably try to get him on. I mean, because that's just such a great. I mean, that's an entree to do 20 minutes of radio right there. Right. I mean, it's an all timer, <laughs> right? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It can apply to a lot of people in the sports world. But but one one final thought, though because you mentioned it and and I know you said we're going to break, but I'll also throw this out there when Lamar Jackson has been healthy, when we've seen Lamar Jackson healthy over the course of his career from his rookie year until now, Ravens haven't been a team that gets blown out. I mean, they just haven't been, I mean, it, the Bengals game a few years back that, that early season you know game why? when Jamar Chase takes care of the ball and there you go. So yeah. I'll, I'll leave you with this Lamar Jackson, number eight, healthy and upright. No matter what the rest of the roster looks like, the Ravens are still going to have a heck of a chance. Just might not be the optimal chance that they had this past year. I think we can all agree on that. So there was a little uh, scuffleupopus in Boston over the weekend that made its way to my desk. And all I'm going to say about it is the person that was involved in it, uh, who was sort of victimized that and abused that on the internet, said, I, I hope she has the day she deserves. So I thought in addition to this great quote about Alabama mouth and Vanderbilt uh, trophy case, I hope we all have the day we deserve Luke. So I hope you have a good week. Uh, and we're one day closer to spring training, maybe some Florida weather, who knows, certainly draft day and free agency a couple of weeks away. This is literally like you do this. Don't tell anybody you do this professionally. This is like the only, Like literally when the baseball team and the football team are both good and they are, they're very, very good. Right. Which we haven't had a lot of in our almost 16 year relationship here. Right. Um, There's not a lot of exhale and Lord knows if the national football league didn't mistreat us, we would be out in Indianapolis freezing right now, working our ass off if there was access in that way, because we like the work. Right. And we would be at spring training like Kirk McEwen was last week because I like the work, even when it was live radio and the guy that had the gate wouldn't even let us into the stadium to put our stuff on in 1990. I mean, like all of those snafus aside, we love this, but this is the only time for you as a reporter who does this professionally holds a card in two sports. Um, that you get a couple of weeks where it's like, hey, Nestor, leave me alone a little bit. Other than that, and like the Wildwood Max pizza thing. <laughs> I was going to say, early July is about the only time. And even then, I'm, I'm abandoning the Orioles for a week in, in doing that. So, yeah, I mean, it's... In hey, the pennant race. <laughs> hey, early July is not the pennant race yet. No, <laughs> you, you hope that they're going to be in the pennant race. But no, uh... there, there's a lot of exciting things coming up. You wish the Terps were better, although getting Queen the recruit. The big deal for the big picture you hold. Dude, hope, I'm but... really good with this chill out period. I mean, it, we, we ran hard with Lamar. All before the storm. And then the Orioles and then the Ravens and then the Orioles and then the Ravens and then the champion. And, you know, <laughs> so like I'm chilling. I'm releasing the book on my pop and I, my love of baseball on his birthday, March 5th. I'm going to be asking you to make me cry, Luke, about dad stories as well into March. Uh, we're going to be doing Fridays live before Orioles games. I'm going to have some stuff on that. I'm going to have lottery tickets to give away, I promise, uh, as well as our friends at Window Nation and 
Jiffy Lube and Wisemark, just all of our great sponsors. The Royal Farms, I'm pouring that in my cold roofing mug here this morning. So big appreciation for everybody that makes this thing work and um, and for everybody that watches that on YouTube or listens or is a part of what we've done for 32 years or 25 years and our friends at Curio and I'm a blunt person shirt. Um, it's just been a really nice little period here to exhale, celebrate 25 years that we've had. I even played Peter Principles last week. You might hear some greatest hits this week, um, but it doesn't mean we're not working. We're actually working hard on doing some really cool stuff here uh, as we get into spring and summer and taking advantage of the new Baltimore Orioles and maybe it's like a new day for downtown and a new day for baseball around here. So I'm getting all revved up. He's Luke. You can find him out of Baltimore. Luke, I'm Nestor. You can find me anywhere. The internet is served. We are WNST AM 1570 Towson, Baltimore. And we never stop talking Baltimore positive. <laughs>